SequelCast 2 and Friends is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, go to greenlitpodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Sierra Quest 2 Adventure Game is Human, a chronological exploration of Sierra Online's category of graphic adventure games. I'm your host, Matt Bradley Shergy. With me is Thrasher. Help you, Gelfling. Come, follow. Mm. That's terrible. I can't do that. Skeksis. Mm. <laughs> and uh, we're talking about the Dark Crystal. It was, uh, you know, the first and last game Roberta Williams worked on based on uh, a movie. And I think that says something. Um, they, you know, this was the last in their high-res adventure series. So it's a little bittersweet in the way. You know, we've been taking our time, but this is high-res adventure number six. And that means next uh, next time on the show, we'll be talking about the original King's Quest. So uh, I'm excited for that. Are you? Oh, yeah. The foreplay will be done. We're going to be... Uh, <laughs> we're going to be uh, going in uh, all in. Right. And, I mean, with Dark Crystal... Um, I think we should talk about the movie briefly. You know, this was co-directed by Jim Henson and Frank Oz. And uh, from what I can gather, I've read a few biographies here and there, um, including a really excellent one uh, by Brian J. Jones I recommend people check out. Um, I believe it's called either Jim Henson Alive or Jim Henson A Biography. But uh, that that one's excellent. Uh, And the audio book is, is really, the audible is really good because the guy does Muppet voices and stuff pretty well. Oh, nice. I think you'd uh, appreciate that, Thrasher, um, and, and our listeners for that matter. But Dark Crystal is really, uh, you know, Jim Henson was kind of getting a bit burned out, uh, maybe even sick of, of doing the Muppets, and he was uh, inspired by some of Brian Froud's paintings and, and uh, had him do um, conceptual artwork and, and help with the story. Oh, yeah, Brian Froud did all the production design uh, for this film and supposedly had a lot of feedback on the story as well. It was a right. really big collaboration. And here in Portland, Oregon, I'm kicking myself. I never took you and Jason to it, I think, because we just didn't know it was there. There's a store called the Fairy Store, and I think Friends of the Frouds run it. And it's just like a lot of like really expensive art pieces, but they have like a, a, a book shelf in the back with like all the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and uh, Brian Froud hardcovers. Uh-huh. And and some of the comic books, like the Dark Crystal uh, sequels and uh, and stuff. Labyrinth had a sequel too, right? Like a manga or something. Uh yeah, there was a sequel. Well, well, there was a sequel manga Korean series and something? a prequel manga series. I see. Interesting. And the oh, you said something in the chat. Oh, never mind. You just said Marvel. I was old. Well, that was a long time well, well, ago. I- well, I do. I do want to cut in because I've got a sure. lot of connections, you know, with 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 this film. But one of yeah, my go for it. One of my the books I'm so happy to have on my shelf that I take out a few times a year and and go through is the Art of the Dark Crystal that Brian Froud did, which is both a collection of production art from the movie, uh, production stills of the different puppets and sets. Um, the original art, as near as I can tell, that was produced for the book, but it is written as if it was all stuff uncovered in an archaeological dig. So there's this whole metafictional element and just these amazing, like, transparent pages that are used to illustrate different geometric symmetries that are meant to exist between certain parts of certain visuals in the film. It really is amazing. It's beautiful. Everything about it is beautiful. And a lot of that beauty manages to transition into the graphic capabilities uh, or transfer to the graphic capabilities of the high-res adventure. Certainly. It, it is the most um, polished title in some ways, not so much in others, but certainly with, with the visuals. Uh, as much as they can with the limited color palette of the Apple II. Oh, but it, before we, we move into oh, that, sure. you want to finish talking about uh, Jim Henson. Uh, oh, yeah. So, I mean, this movie did really well. This was a success, despite the fact that uh, I feel this way. Maybe, um, I don't know if you do, Thrasher, but I like the, the Dark Crystal a good bit less than Labyrinth. I mean, Labyrinth is a, is a crowd pleaser. I certainly saw it more mm-hmm. growing up. I probably, as, as a as a film, 
I I do think Labyrinth is the better of the two, but as a work of art, as as, as a concept, I think Dark Crystal is is the better piece. I think the world building is better in the Dark Crystal. It feels more cohesive, and as I get older, I mind I don't mind slow paced things as much, and in fact, sometimes tend to prefer it because. Um, there is there is a bootleg cut at conventions uh, that I've never seen in this movie where like everything's in subtitles and it's a lot different. And well, they had yeah to, one yeah. one of the as part of the way this movie was originally conceived, it was supposed to be like you were watching a film made in this other world. And so the original cut, um, no one spoke English. Uh, all the creatures spoke a mate an invented a constructed language. Uh, and everything was done, what little dialogue there was, was done in, in subtitles. And they wanted to use body posture and, and you know the puppetry performances as much as possible to express character, um, emotion, and motivation. And so that's that's one of the reasons why there's some awkwardness in the version of the movie we got, where there's huge stretches of no dialogue, where sometimes they try to force in unnecessary voiceover. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Why? Why the Skeksis? Most of the Skeksis dialogue in, in the movie consists of snarling and hissing at each other. <laughs> yeah, and and yet the Skeksis, I think of this some, you know, for me by far the most interesting part of the movie. Like what they're doing is almost like corporate boardroom meetings in a way. Uh, and they're just like all bitching at each other. But it's, I mean, the designs are marvelous. I had a chance to see some of the surviving puppetry uh, in person at the um, Puppet Museum in Atlanta. I don't. I have that name wrong every time, but you, you've been there too, haven't you? Oh, it's like the Center for Puppetry Arts. There you go, yep. Have you been there? No? Regrettably, yes? no. Uh, oh, I, that's my shocking. Plan, I thought, my, okay. Well, you know, funny thing, my plan was to uh, see it uh, last year when I went to Savannah, when I was going to go to Savannah to do a LARP for the college gaming club I was a part of. They, they still bring right. me in for that every now and then. But then, of course, the pandemic happened and that trip oh, never shit. happened. <laughs> yeah, I think. And I mean, when Havana and I went down there, I, I went, I think, once in high school on a field trip, uh, once in college on a field trip, and once uh, with Havana when we were in Atlanta for an, for like a, a week or something. And when we, we went with Havana, it was very fortunate because they happened to have a special labyrinth exhibit with props from the movie, including three different versions of the worm in the beginning. Oh, cool. And I really like that bookworm guy or whatever the hell his name is. Hello, I'm just a worm. Uh, Hello, uh, you want a cup of tea? Come and make all with me, I'm a worm. That's with not that, the, that charming little scarf. Oh, the scarf makes him, yeah. Uh, but anywho, Dark Crystal is, um, it's an interesting film. People should watch it. And as we were talking uh, before the show, Netflix did a sequel. Uh, uh, kind well, of, or, or, excuse me, a prequel TV series that they canceled after one season, unfortunately. Um, it must have been an expensive show to do, that's for sure, because it's oh, practical I'm, effects I'm sure. with, with some CG in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure it did cost a hefty bit of money. It took, like, close to i think five years to make uh and it's it's a shame that like almost immediately after the release they announced it was never coming back which is a shame because you'd think that another season would be cheaper since most of the puppets are already built right um i read somewhere that netflix for their new stuff going forward like to keep things at a limit of two seasons because statistic although that only had one season but like some other statistics are showing that people a viewership drops off after two seasons. Well, there's a problem with that because sure. they stop the shows that they have that do get more than two seasons. They stop promoting. You're I right. They just dis- want the brand new I, stuff. Yeah. I have discovered that shows I love uh, get new seasons by accident on Netflix. They are do a p- terrible job of promoting stuff that you already like. But this is not complaining about Netflix, the show. This is. Uh, allegedly, <laughs> Sierra Quest talking about adventure games. So we're actually, I think, gonna we're uh, put the where the rubber meets the road and talk about High Res Adventure Number Six, The Dark Crystal, designed by Roberta Williams. Um, listeners might recall Roberta Williams, uh, of course, is the wife of Ken Williams, and they both founded the company um, 
which at that point was, I think, online systems, but or later Sierra became online systems. Or, or Sierra, right? And then later shortened to Sierra Online, and eventually just Sierra. Um, but she did, you know, their very first game, Mystery House, which was a big hit. Also did um, Mission Asteroid, Wizard and the Princess. Am I missing one? I think that's it for the ones she did. And then this one, Dark Crystal. No, I think that I think that's it. I think that's it. And um, in case anyone's wondering, we're not going to do the Winnie the Pooh stuff. I think to you know, we're not going to do literally every single Sierra game, but I think the main adventure games we're going to do. So um, at our leisure and at our discretion. But uh, anyhow, Dark Crystal, this follows. Uh, this, it's a bit unusual because there's two, well, three different versions of this game, right? Yes, there's there's the there's the original version. There's the Gelfling Adventure version, which is essentially the same game, only they strip out all the guesswork and everything comes down to just a choice between two options. It's very much a choose your own adventure sort of thing. And then to promote the Netflix prequel series, uh, Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, they re-released the Gelfling Adventure version of the game, but with updated graphics. Although I, I played through a, a good bit of that. Even though it's updated graphics, they, they still capped it out at 16-bit. It looks like really good Super Nintendo-era graphics. Yeah, with the limitation of the colors and the dithering. it's it, it it's, helps. It, Oh, it does. It was artfully done. I, I think um, I liked it better than how the web-based remake of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy looked. I, I hope Roberta Williams was cut a check when they did that and put it on the game's website. I hmm, don't know. That's a good question. Um, although, although I want something else I want to say about Roberta Williams, because I actually I stumbled across this completely by accident. Um between when we scheduled recording this episode and and now uh so uh Ro Ro roberta williams house went up for sale the oh, house yeah, yeah, that yeah. she had built she and her husband had built with all their sierra money uh and so a bunch of pictures from the real estate agent selling yeah. the house came up online and the front door to that house has these amazing stained glass windows that were custom done that all have dark crystal images on them yeah, and I think elsewhere in the house, it, or it might be part of that front door, there's like references to Mystery House and some other of, of their older stuff. It's really neat. Oh, yeah. They, they've find... got like a, a sort of steampunk bathroom before steampunk was a thing. There is supposedly like in the backyard, like a Wild hmm. West town that they hmm. built just to amuse themselves. <laughs> but they, they didn't have any pictures of that, so it might not still be standing. When you flush the toilet, you heard Cedric the Owl talk. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, me? No, um, that'd be. Well, I don't know. I've never seen the house, but I doubt that. Yeah, you look I mean, up the photos became. Yeah, no, it, it's well worth your time. I was just, um, in fact, it made me. If they were selling that as a piece, I'd consider buying it, depending on the the price. Just, it's just, just the stained glass. Yeah. yeah, just the stained glass, the dark crystal stuff. That, I hope that gets preserved. Gorgeous. You, if, yeah. if you buy the house and take those windows down, you are a monster. Or you know, you could certainly make money selling on eBay, the the windows. Well, piece yeah. by piece, but I mean, I think I would hope that would add to the value because it's a—it's not a cheap house. It's like a few million. Uh, what's not a few million dollars was the retail price of the Dark Crystal. Um, that, that's a poor transition, right? So, I mean, this game you play as Jen, and it is follows the movie I think pretty closely, and the artwork by Jim Mahan, uh, or Mahan—I don't—I don't know quite know how to pronounce it. Uh, is really, really good. I was really impressed. It by far has the best artwork out of any of these uh, high-res adventures. Yeah, it, make, it makes up for the... It, I mean, not makes up for it. Like, it really uses the limited color palette to best effect. Uh, there's an amazing subtlety, like, in the line work. Uh, the composition is very, very good. Like, a lot of the... A lot of the scenes could be based off of actual shots from the film. Um... And inter interestingly enough, like even though it, there's so much graphic density on the screen, the screens don't take too long to load. They still take a little bit longer than some of the other screens we've seen in the other high-res adventure games, but it doesn't take as long as you think. It really helps that with um, the, how do I put this, with like the different characters on the screens that they're done in white, so they really pop out from the backgrounds. 
And uh, as you mentioned, they can do some line work in there for more detail. It's it's really quite, uh, yeah, I, I think they, as good as you could at the time, they preserved kind of that Brian Frout look, which I wasn't expecting. No, it, it's, it is absolutely true. Like it, it does, it does truly capture the, the visual feel of, of the source material, which I'm not sure any game, uh, adventure game or otherwise had really captured at this point. I mean, tie in games were still something of a rarity, but you know, we were, we were still in kind of the Atari 2600 home console era. Uh, you know, Nintendo and Sega were only just now emerging and even their media tie in games, like the Ghostbuster video game, which was kind of the gold standard for media tie in games of the era Still doesn't look all that much like Ghostbusters. Except for the title screen and the, the music, you're right. Um, although that Ghostbusters game is is fairly interesting from a game design perspective, but we're digressing. I, I did find an interview with Roberta Williams from the uh, issue 8 of ROM magazine, that's Ooh. R-O-M, from yeah. October, November 84. Interview. The interview is by Peter Ellison. It kind of is going over his career and this is after King's Quest has come out, but when they ask her about the Dark Crystal, and um, this is a... Uh, this question, I think, really stood out. Did you feel limited in the fact that you were basing it on something fixed? Meaning that, you know, based on an existing movie, limiting your ability to be creative with it? And her response, yes, and I really didn't like doing it that way because I like doing my own stories. Hmm. She did this in a month, according to Wikipedia, um, which to me sounds pretty quick. But she also, you know, didn't do the graphics herself, um, which she hadn't been doing at a while at the point. And it was turned over to other programmers and artists. So what do, what do you think about that with her response saying that she didn't really like doing it? Did you feel that with the game or? I, I did not feel that with the game at mm-hmm. all. Although that, that being said, having having worked on like tie-in material for licensed properties that sometimes can get draining. And if you have a lot of creative impulses, you really can sometimes chafe against the restrictions that, that the, that either come with the IP or that the IP holder is, is imposing. What I found interesting is this game had a lot less of the mazes than the high res adventures have to date. You know, that's, true like uh you spend a good chunk of your time just following a river there's no real guesswork as far as, right. as where you're supposed to go but that was a pleasant surprise like the the, the only real maze now that i think about it is when you are in the skexy's castle near the end right yeah. and it's um neat that even at the end if you make a run choice you can lose but the game is so relatively short that it doesn't matter that much. Well, I mean, it had it had a more developed save feature. Although one thing one thing that that struck me with this is one of the things I did do researching this is I found a uh, I I played an emulated version, and sure. the emulated version. So this game was released on four floppy disks that were double sided which was, you know, great technology at the time. And so this, that, that was a lot of space at the time, too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And so at various points, you've, you've got to, you know, switch to a different disc, flipped to a different side. And the emulated version that I found still, like, emulated the... I guess because of the way it emulated the discs, when, when you got to the point where you had to, like, change out the discs, mm-hmm. you couldn't proceed. And I could find nothing on the emulator to say what you had to do to make the emulator think you had flipped the discs out. Oh, um, weird. And... But I did find a playthrough that had left in all the disc flips. And it was fascinating seeing... It's strange. It seems like both not enough and yet too many disc flips for this game. Sure. And on some of those emulators, you can crank up the emulator speed so the loading time isn't as bad. Which might not be good for like an action game, but for an adventure game where stuff is still... Where it's still pictures, basically. um, Those can help. That's that's pretty neat. Yeah, I ended up watching a playthrough on this. I had the same problem getting whatever emulator version I could find to work, which is too bad. But I watched a playthrough of this and the uh, the Gelfling Adventure. And what Gelfling Adventure does is it boils things down to instead of the parser, you're just making choice one, two, or three. It's like uh, a pick a path um, yeah. kind of thing. 
And that works okay, too. I don't think it takes anything away from the game. I'm not sure why it needed to be a separate retail release. Well, I mean, the money opportunity opening mm. up to a, to a, a sure. new market, uh, people who aren't going to be as invested in trying to decipher the convolutions of Sierra's game design. Right. Uh, what um, You mentioned the manuals for this were kind of special. Oh, yeah. So I found, yeah, there. Uh, so the original, so I found the original manual for the original uh, release. It was uh, thankfully, you know, uh, put up online. And, you know, towards the, the, the end of the manual is just pretty much the same two pages explaining uh, adventure games and like how to map things. And it has that same map that has the jungle area noted with pterodactyls, uh, which I still want that as a game. Um, but... Uh, it's full of some like production stills, uh, several production skills from the movie. Uh, it also recounts the story of the movie all the way down to the ending. So like it kind of like, because there are a handful of puzzles in this game that I don't know how you could solve unless you'd seen the film. But what's so good is it's full of Brian. It's also got some Brian Froud art and it begins with you know the 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 song of Agra, Agra being being the oracle in the movie, the same song of Agra appears in the the art of the Dark Crystal book that Brian Froud did. Oh, okay. where it's it's written in Agra's voice, sort of explaining the way the world works in this kind of almost Yoda-like fashion, and it goes on. Right. Um, I have to. Yeah, I mean, you just reminded me of something. So we were watching the scene with Ogra where it gets besieged by the um, the Garthy. Uh, thank you. The, the Garthy, the those tank looking guys. And um, my at the time we were living with my, my in-laws to save up for a house. And my nephew uh, walked in and he was about, I don't know, like six at the time. And uh, we said, oh, do you want to watch this old movie with us? And he took one look at Agra and said, nope, and ran out. <laughs> and he has no problem, you know, and I just thought, like, that's that really speaks to something. Because I, I was scared of this as a kid, too, and especially oh. Labyrinth. There's something about the Brian Froud designs that I think are creepy, but they work on two levels. Well, if uh, one minor diversion before I get to the other manual thing. Sure. So I, I did not see the Dark Crystal, I think, until I was in my early teens because it was very inaccessible for quite oh, some time. Okay. Um, I like I didn't see it until I found it at a VH in a VHS rental place in the Outer Banks on a family vacation, <laughs> and it was mm. the cool widescreen version. But um, but I still I knew of it because it was mentioned in a lot of Jim Henson documentaries, which I would watch whenever they came on. But when I was in first grade, there was a girl in my class who had this tin lunchbox for the Dark Crystal that had uh -huh. all this amazing character pictures on it, and I just remember staring at that lunchbox every lunchtime like what the hell is that what is this box what are those creatures what where is this where is this world like it, it was this weird it was this weird obsession and i remember when i was watching like his jim henson documentary when i was 10 uh, then he produced the dark crystal and they cut to a shot of like the puppeteers getting into the skexy suits and then it hit me oh that's what that inexplicable lunchbox was for so you didn't ask the girl what it was I, I think I did, and her response just was was just like in that little kid way. Oh, it's the Dark Crystal, but then no further <laughs> information. That sounds about right. That's uh, funny. Oh, but so the other manual thing. So I also dug around yeah. and I found the manual for Gelfling Adventure, which has kind of a softer. The cover is kind of a softer tracing of some Brian mm -hmm. Froud artwork that's still pretty characterful, uh, and it's printed on this sort of yellowy paper, which makes it look like a real relic. Uh, has a much more simple, straightforward explanation of the game, but you get through it, and it has this like visual, this visual Gelfling glossary. It's just pictures of different things that are important wow. to the story: characters, monsters, locations, with their name in the dark crystal font, and then a little like description. And it's full of just neat little world building details. And I didn't know this that gate that you have to cross through, which you do see in the movie and is in the game that kind of looks like a monster face that has a name. The gate is called the teeth of Skrish. That's a great name. And, and, and there's lots of hints in it. Cause even the description of the teeth of Skrish, uh, a carving on the outside wall of the castle of the Skeksis legend says that it is a secret entrance to the castle. 
We're the Spirit Hunters, and we're a show that treats Hunter Hunter and Yu Hakusho's author as the center of the universe. Some weeks we do linguistic analysis. So the Chinese meaning of this character is to smelt or refine, but so the changed meaning in Japanese it means to temper. Other times we get absolutely smashed. So we take one shot every time. Yusuke uses the ray gun. One hour later. This is the least coherent episode. Oh, I'm Sarah, you're. Okay, I think you're firing this you can find out more about the Spirit Hunters right here on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Hello, my name is Jonathan Dunn, and I'm inviting you to listen to Our Three Cents, a weekly podcast where myself and two of my very best gaming chums are counting down our top 100 favourite video games of all time. For all the episodes and information, check out our website, www.our3cents.co.uk. A fun thing about this game that keeps the pace going is you really need, you mentioned like most of it, you're basically following a river to get to the Skeksis castle, but you have to keep moving, otherwise you'll get killed by Skeksis. Yeah, there are sort of multiple moments when they mention like you hear a, a noise and then like a monster just shows up and you never you never sort of fight or confront or out with the monster, you just keep moving. And and it's an, it's an interesting touch like the fir- the first one or two times it happens, it actually really is effective and it motivates you to get through the game quickly. But after the fifth time, it just feels like, well, what's the point? You're just prompting me to move, which I was already going to do because there's nothing I can do in this environment. And it does make me, w- I mean, Sierra didn't really do this at this time, but a kind of staple of, of the Sierra games, King's Quest is probably the first one that does it, is when you die, you get kind of a funny message on the screen yeah. to ease the pain. And... In this one, it just cuts to the same kind of exterior shot, and it's like, oh, the uh, the Skeksis ruled the world, or whatever it is. And <laughs> it's like, can you imagine like different varieties of stuff, like different ways Skeksis could kill you, and in, in these game over screens? Like, I oh, think that could be that would have been sort of tor- fun. Oh yeah, like really. God, I mean, that's. <laughs> oh, oh. Speaking of which, so, uh, so you know, one one of the big scenes in in uh, the movie is when Jen and Kira, the other Gelfling, they find that old Gelfling building that has the murals on the wall that explains the history of the world and the prophecy. Right. Um, and the Chamberlain, who's been exiled from the Skeksis castle, shows up, and they have like a little brief conversation before the, before the, uh, the Gelfling run away. Well, you get that in you get that in this game. You know, you get the mural and whatnot. Um, and the Chamberlain shows up, and there's that instinct that's kind of trained into you from both adventure games and computer RPGs or, Oh, Oh, an NPC showed up. We better talk to him and get as much information as possible. But of course, if you stick around the Chamberlain, he just catches you and you die. And, yeah. and you had to realize, Oh wait, following every NPC to get as much dialogue out of them as possible. That hadn't been invented yet. That's true. Of course he's going to kill you. I know how this movie goes. <laughs> But again, like the, even then, the right. Chamberlain's one of those things. You have no context for the Chamberlain unless you've seen the movie. Well, and that's a good point with the NPCs. The um, high-res adventures we've seen to date didn't use NPCs that much, or if they did, it was just for one puzzle. Uh, you know, they're, they're the gnome and Wizard and the Princess, for example, or, or the monster in uh, Cranston Manor. Non-player uh, character, the term is. Uh, yes, meaning someone that is not yourself. Your avatar in this case is Jen, but sometimes in these games it's just you, right? Where the the parser says you walk into a room, etc. So that you do have a lot of characters from the movie zipping about and that you can talk to it helps add to the world and make it feel like you're playing the movie. To use a, a cliched marketing line. Thrasher? Oh, oh I'm, I, I'm sorry, you cut out there. What, what was the question? Oh, I cut out. Um, I was saying that it's cool that it has all the different characters in the movie that you could go around with because it feels like a uh, like you're playing the movie more. No, that's that's true. I mean it, it is it is immersive in that way. Uh, and it's and it does it does a better job of recapturing the arc of the movie than a lot of than a lot of movie tie-in games. And there's a lot in in the eighties and and nineties especially. There's a lot of shitty movie and TV tie-in games, and I was expecting this Dark Crystal to be not very good, frankly. And it's it it's quite good, and in some ways, perhaps the best high-res adventure to date. In that it's so compact. Like if I was telling one to play one of these high-res adventures, I might start them with a Dark Crystal. 
maybe and yet there are a handful of there are a handful of things in this game that uh, that I don't know how the hell you're supposed to solve. Why don't you talk about one of these puzzles from hell? Oh yeah, so so one of them, so one of the things early on is before before Gan leaves the uh and, and this is actually something that's very well done. One of the one of the early scenes in the film is that Gan meets with his mentor, one of the mystics <clears throat> who's on his deathbed, and he explains things, and there's this cool like visions coming out of a bowl. And then, you know, that he then he dies and vanishes like Yoda. So but in this in when this scene is reproduced in the game, it's it's so close to actual animation as the tech as the text comes on screen. Uh, we see that bowl, and they actually have like the crystal image pop out of it, and it's just like appears and disappears. But just the fact that the care is taken to put it there without having to reload the whole screen, uh, I think, is a great technological leap. But in that, you know, he says like to f- to find Agra, you m- you will need to solve like you will know her because you need to solve this riddle, and the riddle is what do Sun brothers argue about? Uh, when you meet Agra, she asks you, like, you know, the first you have to pass a test. What do Sun Brothers argue about? The answer, Moon Daughters. There is no, there's nothing in the movie or in the game that would suggest that that is the answer. Except like, you're thinking, I guess, of the opposite of a Sun Brother. But why, but why would that be, why would they argue about like I, I like there is a symmetry to it. There is a symmetry to Sun Brothers and Moon Daughters, but the idea that opposites and symmetry are important still has not been introduced. So like it it seems like as a puzzle, it feels like the solution is a non sequitur. Yeah. Uh, it, it can't be an adventure game without like a puzzle that's kind of inexplicable. I mean, I don't know even adventure game design is really difficult. I, I I tried to do it a few times in college. I hope to do one uh, one of these days. I do uh, have a degree in game design for what it's worth. But um, like, how do you know what what the people are gonna think? What the player is gonna think? You have to signpost stuff uh, to a point. I'm not quite sure how you do it. And I mean, they, they had such limited things to work with with a parser that could only take maybe two words at a time and understand a, a limited amount of things and not display that much text. Um, I do think also at the beginning of the game, it displays a lot of text kind of setting up the backstory in case you don't read the manual. And I thought that was cool. I, I, I took the opposite view. There are two, there are two moments early in the game where you literally get the screen full of text and then you get to another screen half full of text. And then you finally get to the actual image of what's going on. And it, it, I, I felt like that could have all been communicated much more elegantly. Like one screen of nothing but text at the beginning of a game, I can handle that. That can be the most efficient way to release information. But anything beyond that, they should have just trusted in the art uh, to carry things. I want to give a shout out to, uh, I'm actually working on an article for Hardcore Gaming 101 about this game, The Dark Crystal. And um, the founder of the site, Kurt uh, Collada, uh, was able to confirm to me uh, through Moby Games, which is a great resource for pictures of games, and especially uh, I, I like it for box cover artwork and, and so forth. Um, check them out at mobygames.com. But uh, over at the Moby Games, apparently Dark Crystal was released for Japanese computers. Oh. And the artwork, it's the same artwork, but it uses more colors, and it's and at least from the screenshots on that page, they're really artfully done. To check that out. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because I was not able to find anything with furious Googling. Um, I actually messaged Ken Williams on Facebook, and he actually responded and asked Roberto Williams if there was a Japanese version, and they thought no, which, which was, I didn't think he'd respond, and that he'd ask uh, his wife, you know, the woman who designed the game, was was um, flattering, and uh, to be perfectly honest, a bit moving, because I grew up with all these games. Well, I'm um, wondering... Um... Because, because I mean, maybe they just forgot that the Japanese version was made. But I'm sure. wondering, at the time this was was made, was Sierra becoming a big enough company that it could be doing things that its founders and heads didn't necessarily know about? Could it have been just some other employee who cut the deal that got the Japanese version made? Probably. I mean, Mystery House has a Japanese version where the graphics are a lot uh, better. Um, and I mean, that could very well be the case because what. Um, 
Ken Williams was thinking was, you know, because it's a licensed product and doing it overseas and stuff, it, it wouldn't be worth it, um, w- which makes sense. So I'm not really sure, but I do recommend you read uh, Ken Williams' memoir that came out not that long ago. The title is, hold on a second. Um, it, while I look that up, why don't you talk about, I mean, anything else about this game that comes to mind? As we um, mentioned, it's kind of short. A, a few a few other observations. The one that just kind of jumped out at me is there's a... Uh... Again, like in the uh, in the movie, when you uh, Agra shows you four in the movie, it's three, but I believe in the game it's four sh- uh, shards that might be the shard of the dark crystal you have to restore. And just like in the movie, uh, Jen plays the flute to sort of activate the shard, and each shard is rendered in a different color. And the one thing that mm. jumped out is when you play the flute, the blue shard is the one that lights up and it just, it just struck me. It's like, Oh, uh-huh. you can actually render the pur- purple in this game. <laughs> and yet it's, yeah. and this crystal is purple and yet it's a blue shard is the one you put in. And that just kind of uh, tickled me. And also the music he plays on the flute is like one note off from here comes the bride. That's funny. Good catch. Uh, yeah, so Ken Williams' book, which came out in July of 2020, Not All Fairy Tales Have Happy Endings, The Rise and Fall of Sierra Online. Uh, it runs a little bit over 400 pages. It's well worth your time to read, and I believe there's an audible version uh, out there, or if it's not out there, it's coming out soon. I hope there's uh, Muppet voices in that, too. Um, Good question. I haven't heard that version. I also would recommend, if you want to know the early, early history of Sierra, which in which includes this high-rise adventure stuff uh, we've been talking about on these initial episodes of Sierra Quest. Check out Stephen, uh, Stephen Levy's excellent book, Hackers, Heroes of the Computer Revolution. It follows a lot of different um, things about the birth of computer technology and, and gaming sometimes, but this Sierra chapter uh, in particular kind of shows you the wild and woolly days of early um, online systems. A lot of parties. I'll just leave it at that. So... There's a, a a puzzle early in this game where uh, you get tangled up in these vines, and it's it's one of those things where the solution is very unintuitive. The solution isn't to struggle to cut the vines with the piece right. of shale that you get early in the game that has Just a thousand yell. and one uses, such as digging flutes out of the ground. Um, <laughs> instead, the solution is you have to attempt to move in every direction. Yeah. And then after you're done failing to move in every direction, uh, Augra shows up and you get released. Right. It's so bizarre. Oh, and the, the other thing that, uh, that jumps out. Uh, so uh, th- this game is shockingly faithful to the source material, but towards the end, to get the best ending, you have to not save Kira and instead, you know, throw yourself on the crystal and put the shard back in and, and heal the world and, and let... Kira die, but then you can get the Urskex to bring to bring her back to life again, just like in the in the movie. It's it's, and that normally I wouldn't like that kind of thing that you could that sequence of events you could only know by replaying the movie, and yet in this game because the Dark Crystal is such a bizarre and dark fantasy, I felt that worked so well. Yeah, letting, and having letting your only ally die like that, right? And having what amounts to multiple endings. Is pretty unusual for games at the time. You didn't really see that. So yeah, I could totally yeah. see people finishing the game with one of the bad or not so good endings and thinking, "Oh, well, I guess that's the end of it," and possibly not thinking to go back to an older save and see if they can make it end any other way. Sure. Um, to kind of round things out, they, there was well, we, you mentioned it briefly with the graphics, but there's a a remake that's a quite a bit kind of slimmed down version of Dark Crystal on uh, on the internet that was done to promote the um, Dark Crystal Age of, uh, Age of Resistance series on Netflix. And uh, the artwork's cool. The, the parser is really simplified. Like, you can only recognize one or two words. And it, it really simplifies the, the puzzles. But despite all that, like, it's a fun way to play kind of like a best parts version of the game. Did uh did you try it out, Thrasher, or what? Did... I I did. I didn't play it all the way to the end just because I didn't have time. But I might go back and and do that. Like it it was overall it was the gameplay was was okay. I do I do feel like that kind of I do feel like it is something of a downgrade going from full 
uh, text input adventure to this multiple choice thing. It just it's, but I, I can understand I can understand the usefulness of that. But it's not as is it's not as elegant as it could be. But the the visuals, those sort of eight bit lush dark crystal visuals, were so good. They in, in in a lot of ways made up for what I didn't like about the game design. Right. It's. I mean, if if a kid had never played an adventure game or even an adult, I might point them towards that. I'm a bit. Um, I almost think, looking back on it, they should have just done the interface from Gelfling Adventure instead, and have you do one, two, or three. Because why, why let people type in if it only recognizes like one or two words? Like the parser is very, very limited. That's a good point. And you might as well just do the choose your own adventure thing. So. Mm. Interesting. But yeah, Dark Crystal, I mean, this game, it's its a fitting end to the high-res adventure saga, you know, uh, that we've been talking about. It's, I, I do wonder how it how it's sold, because uh, you had the two different versions in the market if one did better than the other. Um, but it, you know, it's a good kind of summation of how that game works. It, it kind of gets rid of the annoying mazes that were in a lot of those old ones, and uh is really focused, you know, not, it doesn't really have um, a lot of puzzles. It, it could, I, I wish it was a bit longer, but uh, that it's kind of a quick uh, up and atom game is, is kind of refreshing, com- you know, coming off of like time quest, not time quest, what was it? Time zone, right? Time. Yeah, yeah. I, I would, I would love to see like that style of game used to make a true bit of supplementary material for age of resistance. Cause you know, there, it, it would be fun to play around in that version of the setting with that with particular group of characters. So what they, they had the ambition. Yeah. What they did do was a, um, to tie into dark crystal age of resistance is they did a, a video game called Dark oh, that, Crystal Age of Resistance Tactics that plays a bit like Final Fantasy Tactics. It's a turn-based thing. I've not played it. Reviews were okay. I, I saw some screen captures uh, when I was doing research for this. I'm not particularly interested in playing it, but it's 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 interesting that that's the direction they went in uh, yeah. to do a strategy game. Right. Artwork looks nice, I think. Um, but maybe it's if it's on sale, I'll give it a go. Uh, but yeah, that's that they got a, did a new video game at all for the new series is uh, really quite something. And uh, you saw the whole series, uh, Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. I haven't, but it sounds like it's it's worth the watch. I, I think it, it absolutely is. It's, it's a okay. marvelous technical achievement. The story turns out to be quite good. Uh-huh. And and the other reason that I think, because, yeah, yeah, you know, knowing it's a prequel, knowing the movies... Um, you know everyone's going to come to a bad end because the Gelflings mm-hmm. are all but extinct in the in the film, but they're they're very populous in Age of Resistance, and so as a result, the ending, though the ending is hopeful and it does end on a victory for the protagonists, it's such a false note because you know there's a great doom coming, a doom that they continue to hint at. I I I really wanted to see that falling action. Yeah. Oh, look, Sigourney Weaver was the narrator. How about that? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, a, a lot of good. Oh, no, it had an amazing cast. I've been right. was a lot the of good Chamberlain. voices. Mark Hamill was Mark, the Mark scientist. Uh, Aquafina was the collector. I forget his name, <laughs> but uh, uh, oh, hell. Harvey, Andy oh, Samberg. Harvey Firestein. Oh. Harvey Firestein was one of the Skeksis as well. What are you kidding? Really? That's, that's no, he was. And, he, and he's great. He's the gourmand. Ah, yes, the Gormand. Oh, and then you have Jason Isaacs as the Emperor. Jason Isaacs, in, in true British tradition, plays a lot of bad guys. Yeah, it's and, butler uh, and villain. Uh, it's it's <laughs> no, it's it's delightful. And I I uh, I think oh, and there if if you're and if you're not going to watch the whole series, you sh- there's one thing you should see. So there's a, a Skeksis called uh, the Heretic, who is played by Andy Samberg. And he lives in this tower in the desert with a mystic. They actually have like a friendship. There is this amazing scene, and you know, skip ahead if you don't want things spoiled, where they explain the history of the world of Thra and the lore of the Dark Crystal to the protagonists, but they do it using puppetry. So it's Henson puppets operating Whoa. Henson puppets, putting on That's a play cool. about the history of the Dark Crystal. I can't imagine how difficult that was to 
conceive, let alone perform. And and they keep and they keep doing more amazing technical things with these puppets as they go. It's so cool. Oh, and I just love that? the way and, he introduces yeah. it. We will tell you the story through the magic of puppetry. And he does this like <laughs> magician yeah. gesture. It's great. So good. It's very meta. Uh they also got a feature length documentary on that show on Netflix that looks pretty interesting. The Crystal Calls. The Making of Dark Crystal, Age of Resistance. Yeah, I really should dive into that and, and pay a visit to the uh, fairy store uh, up in Portland. Uh, I'd like to check where that out, I live. too. Yeah. Um, if, uh, if you're I, ever here for a convention or something. I mean, I think you would like Portland Retro Game Expo. Uh, that's oh, the one I, I would recommend out of the local I, cons. I know I would. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, I mean, that's neither here nor there to our listeners. They're probably falling asleep by now. So this is, you know, we've talked about uh dark crystal we've wrapped up the um discussion of the high-res adventures so that means next time on zero quest the episodes come out when they're ready what did 3d realms used to say do you uh, remember when it's done <laughs> yeah it'll come out when it's done uh we'll try to do these monthly i can't promise it you know life can get in the way but it i i hope within a few years we'll have looked at the core sierra adventure games as we do our sierra quest to it's been a real human. fun side podcast. I I agree. And we both, uh, adventure games are some of our, I mean, we grew up on them. And they're some of our favorite uh, genre of game, I think it's safe to say. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, next week is, is King's Quest with King Graham. Um, <laughs> the original version. Yeah, it'll be good to figure out uh, what to give a goat and how to climb a uh, a beanstalk without falling off. I'm feeling so much anticipation because I've never played the original King's Quest, what? and yet it's early what? Sierra, so I know I've got some head banging uh, puzzles and 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 things coming. I can't to believe me. that! Wow, did you play the the EGA remake or? Uh, I did not play the EGA remake. I played oh crud! I played two of the sequels. One of them was that musical one. Uh, seven, the one that was animated by the Russian company. I th- yeah, I think I think that was seven. Was that that was the one after Absence makes the heart go yonder? No, that was after King's Quest six. Ah, to air is human. human. Shit, is that six? No, or is that the third one? I can't remember spot. anymore. Yeah, oh, they they love they uh, love the puns over at Sierra. Anyhow, it'll be fun to see King's Quest one, the original version. Uh, it is there. There are fan remakes in VGA of the first three King's Quest games that even have voice acting and original like songs for it that I think we'll touch on. But I mean, our main focus here in the show is the original um, versions of these games, but we will talk about the uh, kind of, you know, Sierra had that period where they remade like quest for glory one and space quest one and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think those will get separate episodes. Don't you think? Because there's I, I enough would, differences. I, I would think so. The, the yeah, leap okay. from text to point and click is has huge impact on those games. Right, extraordinary. Um, we've, I mean, I think this has been a pretty good episode here of Sierra Quest, talking about the Dark Crystal. And I think uh, any last thoughts on the game? I would say if you're if you're a fan of the Dark Crystal, and maybe even a fan of Sierra Adventure games, definitely check it out. Uh, if you don't fit into one of those two categories, you probably won't get much out of it. You might find the experience frustrating, but I, this is, but as a game in in and of itself, and as one of the first big video game media tie-ins, this is a significant work. And I think it's, it's worth getting a real critical appraisal. Yeah. um, I would say, even if you don't, I'd I'd love to hear from people that have played this without seeing the movie because I'm not sure how any of it would uh, if it would be too weird to play through or if you would still would get a kick out of it. <laughs> so, uh, listeners, if you've never seen The Dark Crystal and want to play this old game, just uh, you can find it online uh, easy enough, or you can still you know buy a copy of it. eBay I think is the best idea if you have the original hardware. Um, it might even be part of that Roberta Williams anthology that's really good. That's from the early 2000s or late 90s that has like all the King's Quest, all the Laura Bow games, and it has a smattering of the Apple II games. So um, for 
Zero Quest 2 Adventure Game is Human. I'm uh, Matt Bradley Shergi. Follow me on Twitter at M-A-T-W-B-T. Um, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. And uh, you can check out the episodes at SequelCast2.com. Uh, we have it all in the same feed to save money. But I'm thinking of putting like a, a tag or something in there, right? Where people can click on see your request and see the episodes. Because I've had a few people come to me and request that. So, um, you know, something, well, something for the fans. Listeners didn't need to know all that. But hey, you don't listen to this show if not to hear rambling, which is part of the appeal of podcasting, I suppose. <laughs> so next time we'll talk the original king's quest one uh, one of my friends in middle school his dad worked for ibm and he had a pc junior in the basement with king's quest on it which is a platform king's quest was originally designed for nice oh and hey i uh, found the list of what's in the roberta williams anthology it does in fact contain uh the dark crystal is it missing any of those high adventures or uh, it well, i guess the one she high... didn't do it does not have uh high adventure three hmm interesting well that was the cranston manor uh true and another person designed it um and and that is quite the collection i think i mean read off some of the games in there did i have that right more or less yeah so we've got we've got you know we've got those high-res adventures we got king's quest we've got lots we got mixed up mother goose uh the cornelius bequest uh dagger of amon ra oh there's a second there's a second mother goose Game. Oh, I guess it's two different versions of Mixed Up Mother Goose from different platforms. It had a sequel called like Mixed Up Fairy Tales that I believe Lori Cole uh, wrote and designed, something like that. But oh, um, but, I, yeah. I, if it's the one I'm thinking of, I've played mm-hmm. them. Yep, with the dragon uh, narrating it. Cool. I mean, so I mean that's, and I believe one of the CD-ROM versions of Mixed Up Mother Goose has like rap songs in it or something. Oh, if that's true, we had to look that up. Yeah, uh, it's pretty. There's a, a zillion versions of mixed up Mother Goose that, Goose that we'll cover in due time. But yeah, so um, for a Sierra Quest to Adventure Game is Human, this is Matt. And this is Thrasher. Saying, What do son brothers argue about? Son daughters. Moon daughters, you fool! Don't torture no, no, me, Mr. Mr. For you. you have displeased Agra. No. Oh.